Hello, I'm Terry Schultz, and I am channeling Brussels, getting newsmakers, movers, and shakers to lose the lingo, burst out of the Brussels bubble, and have real conversations about the critical foreign and security policies shaping our world. It's the rest of the story, beyond the few seconds of sound bites that make it into the news. This week's Channeling Brussels is brought to you by the Atlantic Council. And joining me this week from NATO headquarters is Yehor Bozhak, the man in charge of Ukraine's mission to the alliance. We're talking just a couple of days before U.S. President-elect Donald Trump takes office, a man who continually calls NATO obsolete and ineffective. That's not, as you might imagine, how Ukraine views the alliance. NATO's the best friend Kiev has in the world. The entire NATO posture shifted when Russia illegally annexed Crimea in 2014, and most of the restructuring and streamlining that's taken place in a hurry since then stemmed from that shock event and the Kremlin's continuing aggressive actions in eastern Ukraine. While the NATO moves are technically to defend allies, Ukraine's gotten a lot of aid, training, and other assistance, too. Now President-elect Trump, in a gesture reflecting his desire for rapprochement with the Kremlin, suggests he might consider dropping the sanctions put upon Russia for its behavior in Ukraine. So around here, everyone's holding their breath. But even with so many variables, Yehor Bozhak keeps his cool. Have a listen. Thank you very much for making time to speak with us today. Now, of course, I invited you here expecting to have a conversation about Ukraine's expectations heading into the Trump administration, concerns about the U.S. relationship with Russia. But as we're coming to the studio, uh, your country has uh, created more breaking news, and that is that Ukraine is suing Russia in the U.N.'s highest court, the International Court of Justice in The Hague. And so I think I'd like to start our conversation with uh, the latest. Yes, uh, we have finalized uh, the cases, we have prepared uh, evidence, and we have submitted to the International Court of the United Nations uh, two cases, one under the International uh, Convention on Fight Against Financing of Terrorism, and another one on International Convention on Prohibition of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. And we are going to sue uh, the Russian Federation for what it did with uh, MH17, uh, with all the shellings, uh, with all this uh, discrimination and uh, deterioration of Crimean Tatars and Ukrainian population in the occupied Crimea, etc. So break that down a little bit. So the MH17 case is wrapped up with the Donbass. We are talking about financing and supporting of the terrorist activity. Uh, we, uh, and, Which to and Ukraine what means the Russian activity. All of the Russian and financing of equipment, of, of, of soldiers. This of is what we everything. claim. Okay. And uh, tell me if anybody has a doubt that uh, shutting down of MH17 was, you know, not a terrorist activity. Well, the Dutch investigators have, of course, put out their their reports, the Dutch Safety Board, and this is off the top of my head since this is just happening as we walk in. Dutch Safety Board has said it looks like a Buk missile came from the Russian-occupied area of eastern Ukraine. Um, I think most, uh, most, most investigators point the finger toward Russia, but nobody has come out and, and actually made a case yet on, from the international investigation, have they? You're, you're ahead of them. Uh, what is, what is obvious, for, 
overwhelming majority of nations and what is obvious here at NATO that Russia supports militants operating in the occupied territories of the eastern Ukraine. What is obvious that the MH17 was shot from the territory occupied by the militants. Unfortunately, we had enough opportunities to collect evidences uh, which uh, prove uh, the, 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 the terrorist nature of the activities uh, uh, which were and are undergoing uh, in the occupied territories of uh, the eastern Ukraine and uh, in the occupied Crimea. Well, this is just one of the many issues that I want to talk about with you. The other, the other thing happening as we speak is, is, is that Vice President Biden, vice president for the next 48 hours, has been in Kiev, um, both telling President Poroshenko to continue with the reforms that Ukraine has undertaken and also reminding the rest of the world that um, the international community should not um, back down on Russian sanctions until Minsk is, is fully implemented. How does it feel to be Ukraine right now with um, uh, President-elect Trump saying he may make a deal on lifting sanctions and Vice President Biden saying we can't let those sanctions die? Look, uh, the point and the fact is that the United States of America has always been a strong supporter of Ukraine no matter who was running the administration. This is the fact. At we, least until now. Uh, and I'm sure it will continue. Because, uh, because the, 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 the issue now, uh, I mean, and the, the, the Russian aggression against Ukraine, uh, we have to realize it clearly, is not a, a bilateral conflict between Russia and Ukraine. It is uh, n nothing to do as well with uh, the internal Ukrainian crisis as uh, Russian Federation tries to portray it. Uh, if I may uh, put it like uh, uh, this, it is an attempt to attack the old and big international enterprise which is called democracy, the rule of law, and respect between nations. Ukraine and many other countries of the world are, you know, has have, have shares in these enterprises. And the uh, United States chairs the board. Uh, and uh, we have no other option rather than to defend this enterprise. Otherwise, we will have to deal with the opened Pandora box all over the world. Uh, Look, we all want uh, to interact with, uh, normally with the Russian federations. We all want. Uh, but for that, unfortunately, we have to uh, firstly extract the Russian federation from the parallel reality. And to bring it back to the principles of international law, at least. The point is uh, that in this all this exercise, what is essential and crucial uh, is principles on which we all live and on which the American society lives. And no one told to anybody that these principles are going to be watered down, forgotten, changed, or 
that's that's uh, from from this we proceed. But aren't you worried that they will be? From the comments that we heard on the campaign trail, from everything that we've seen about Russian influence on this election and possibly this incoming administration, um, are you afraid, though, that they could be watered down? Maybe nobody said it yet, but in your heart, do you have some worries? Let's come back to the Pandora box. If it is opened, come on, we all have a big trouble, including the Russian Federation. Let's not forget this as well. But you've also got in the Normandy Four, the the group of, of nations that agreed, nations and groups, of course, because the, the separatists are there as, as well, um, that agreed to the Minsk document, the Minsk uh, ceasefire. Um, do you think France and Germany would ever agree to to change to change the uh, the requirements, the obligations under that ceasefire, or do you have hopes that the Europeans will say we're sticking we're sticking to the deal? Look. Uh there is uh, this obligation is very simple uh, and, and 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 clear, uh, and it is very difficult to change it. Ceasefire uh, is ceasefire. It exists or not. Um, uh, it, it is not possible to have uh, a little bit of ceasefire or a lot of ceasefire. Uh, we just can have a ceasefire or not a ceasefire. Unfortunately, uh, we do not have it right now. And there, there are no signs that we are going to have it uh, in the near future. The matter here is the matter of willingness. When, uh, for example, we sit and talk together, if we want to achieve agreement, we both, we will do it. If one of us doesn't want, uh, we will come into a never-ending uh, conversations, exchange of views, opinions, breaks, coming backs, you know, uh, new new starts, uh, etc. But uh, it will be absolutely impossible to achieve any progress in any case if there is not, uh, if there is no uh, willingness of all the parties. We definitely have here uh, an absence of a willingness of, of one of the parties. However, I get the OSCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, their monitoring mission sends out a report every day, sometimes even more than once a day if there mm -hmm. are incidents. And there are also violations from the Ukrainian side. What do you say about those? Uh, look, if the only possibility to stop an assault is shooting back, we have to do it. Otherwise, uh, we will have the militants and terrorists inside, uh, deep, deeper inside Ukraine. Before doing this, we, on multiple occasions, warn the other side, and first and foremost the Russians, that look, there is an attack, there is an assault. Stop them because otherwise we have to take the actions in advance. I can, I can tell you a last example. Uh, uh, lately I have received the information that one case like this, uh, during one situation like this, we have warned <laughs> the Russian side uh, more than 600 times. And warned, there was warned no, them of what to stop firing uh, or to, to, to take actions to, to, to stop, stop to stop to stop yes mm -hmm. 
and uh, there was no uh, reaction at all. So if the OSCE says the Ukrainian side is also sometimes obstructing uh, inspections of equipment or hasn't pulled everything the, the back, devil, you're saying that's self The devil is in the detail, in the details. Uh, that's what we are uh, opting for and that's what we are trying to persuade uh, the other side uh, to allow. And that's what we uh, would like to uh, um, have uh, the Russian Federation agreed for, uh, to have, to allow the OSCE monitors full and unimpeded access everywhere, which is not the case. So as that situation stands, um, I think it would be a hard sell to drop sanctions. The point is that... Uh, President Poroshenko uh, was uh, one of the first who had the phone conversation with, with President Trump, Trump and, and they have agreed uh, to have a meeting. And uh, I'm sure that meeting uh, will, will be um, substantive, efficient and productive. And I'm confident that this meeting will put the record straight. Okay. On, uh, and I would like to add that put the record straight on U.S. unwavering support to Ukraine. Have, has there been a date set for that meeting yet, or did, did uh, uh, President-elect Trump... This is not my, 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 my uh, portfolio. Uh, I only know that there is an agreement to have this meeting. And I, so Trump agreed that, yes, President Poroshenko, I'd like to see you early? I mean, I didn't. I was not know. present at that conversation. Yeah. I, I, I only know that they have agreed to meet. Okay, well, that's something. Let's talk about um, his cabinet nominees. Uh, because one of the things that's come out um, as as these nomination hearings have been taking place taking place in Washington is that some of the things said on the campaign trail, some of the things that the president-elect continues to say is not the same as what he, the people who are actually going to be carrying out policy are saying. So when President-elect Trump says as recently as over the weekend, again, that NATO is obsolete, um, how does that feel to Ukraine? Because Ukraine and NATO have a very close relationship, and you certainly consider NATO as 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 one of your supporters, as one of, of your defenders. So when President-elect Trump says NATO is obsolete and that he'd like to get rid of some parts of it, reform some parts of it, one of his advisors has just said in Davos that he thinks the treaty may need to be renegotiated, the founding treaty. I don't know which one to, he is referring to. How do you feel? You rely on you rely on NATO and on the the support that uh, this alliance has been giving you for years now. Uh, and we will be relying on it. And just uh, a couple of hours ago, uh, my president uh, literally expressed uh, our position that there is no other security uh, strong and 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 efficient security mechanism in the world uh, than NATO. When when UN uh, Security Council platform was uh, literally destroyed by by the actions of the Russian Federation, uh, NATO remained the only consistent, uh, coherent and strong uh, platform uh, which can allow assure uh, uh, allow ensuring security first and foremost of the allies and uh, projecting projecting of the stability into the neighborhood like Ukraine. Uh, this is first. Second, uh, I take uh, all. Uh, I, I I I hate commenting uh, interpretations, presum uh, assumptions, presumptions, you know, uh, elaborations. Uh, uh, but uh, I think 
the 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 idea is uh, the idea of uh, the uh, incoming uh, U.S. Uh, administration is to have NATO uh, in a maximum uh, way uh, adapted uh, to the current security challenges. But this is exactly what all allies want, and this is exactly what we, uh, as a distinctive partner of NATO, also want. But are you worried when you hear that, for example, the Secretary of State nominee, Rex Tillerson, that his company, Exxon, the company he used to work for, um, lobbied against Russian sanctions? It's already on the books that, that, that Exxon did this um, in what couldn't have been in Ukraine's interests. Does that worry you? Or do you think, as he himself says, there's a clean break with the past and he, w he will be a different person going forward because he has a different role? What... Uh I have al always admired uh, in the American nation is that clear distinction between the national interests and the private interests. <laughs> and I am sure that uh, everybody in the in the uh, incoming administration, all the nominees. Uh, and all the people advising, you know, and, and drafting uh, relevant policies, etc., they clearly distinct private from the public, national from the from 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 the individual. That's why I'm I'm uh, I mean uh, I don't pay strong attention to to what was in the past, but I will definitely pay strongest possible attention to what will be uh, in three days, three, four, you know, in coming days. It'll take a little longer than that before we know much, but you're not, you're not, the, you're not worried at all by the evidence of strong ties to Russia, F personal friendships and... Uh, Did anybody say that uh, strategic partnership between uh, the United States and Ukraine uh, is obsolete? No. This is the answer for and all the questions. And asked directly about Crimea, uh, Tillerson, for example, said it was wrong, the the, uh, the annexation of Crimea, and that it, it is not acceptable. Look, so that's what devil, you need devil, to hear, devil right? is always in the details, and this is uh, this is the tactics uh, the Russian Federation constantly applies uh, in the case of Ukraine and in the all other cases where they think they protect their interests. Details and parallel reality. This is the weapon uh, which uh, the Russian Federation uh, continues to use, probably thinking that it is effective. Well, but we will see. You don't think it was effective, their hacking campaign you, uh, on, on the, the U.S. election process? You don't think that that was effective in any way? Did Russia get what it wanted out of it? You can hack everything. I mean, all computer networks, etc. You know, uh, but you cannot hack uh, the, the personal position and the principal opinion. For this, technology uh, has not provided the instruments yet. That's why I'm pretty confident that principles on which the American state has always lived uh, will be uh, even more strengthened in the coming future. Is it true that Ukraine tried to uh, intervene in the election process on behalf of the other candidate? Of is, it, is it true that God exists? <laughs> you may believe it or not. 
but uh, I mean the fact is that as a strategic partner the United States and Ukraine are actively interacting at various levels in various formats including uh, Congress and Senate uh, we are we were and we will be actively working with Democrats we were and we will be actively working with Republicans because we definitely see an interest in a continued strong cooperation and interaction the the, the, the immediate example the United States is the biggest supporter of uh, uh, reform of the Ukrainian armed forces. Now this is a national interest for us. Of course. Uh, because, uh, I mean, as Sandy Vergebo, I mean, brilliantly told once, uh, one day... He's the former Deputy Secretary General of NATO, we should say. The, 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 the strongest weapon of uh, Ukraine is a strong Ukraine. And Biden just said that again. Yeah. That's, that's where the point is. But what if this administration then, pulls back that funding, pulls back that support? But, 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 but uh, the Congress... The Republican Party, the Democratic par Party, uh, overwhelmingly supported this decision. Uh, That's true, and there would be a balance of power in any decision that an, an administration would try to carry out, right? So you, you're, you're confident in democracy that. in the United States of America is really strong, uh, and uh, I'm not. I don't see any reason. Uh, to say uh, or to even to think that uh, the democracy in the United States of America uh, will uh, become weaker. What about on the other side? Is there any chance, do you think, that the lethal weapons you've been asking for, and some senators, including John McCain, have asked for for you, do you see any signs that, that maybe there will be a push to actually uh, go forward with that, to go further than the Obama administration was willing to do on Ukraine's behalf? Uh, once again, uh, U.S. is the biggest supporter of the reform of the uh, armed forces of Ukraine. And our Chod is here, uh, Chief of Defense of Ukraine is here at the meeting uh, uh, of NATO Defense, uh, Chief of Defense session. And he just reconfirmed it uh, a couple of hours ago that, I mean, we, 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 we highly appreciate uh, that the, the United States leading role along with the, uh, the other uh, allies like Canada, Lithuania, the United Kingdom, uh, in supporting um, uh, reform of the Ukrainian armed forces. Why I am I'm confident uh, in this situation? Because the truth is, 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 is if I may say, in, is on our side. The issue is that, I mean, this is not because someone loves Ukraine, or someone doesn't like Ukraine, or, 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 or etc. The point is that uh, what has happened, uh, I mean, the Russian aggression against Ukraine, and further provocative and aggressive actions in other parts of the world, uh, is clearly an attack on basic principles and fundamental norms uh, on which we all live. That is why they, 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 they I mean, it is it's essential to defend them. And for me, there is no question that they, they will, uh, will be defended. 
After Friday. <laughs> Before Friday, on Friday, and after Friday. <laughs> and that was Ukraine's acting chief of mission at NATO headquarters, Yehor Bozhak, and his determinedly optimistic outlook about relations between Ukraine and the U.S. under President-elect Donald Trump. My thanks to the Atlantic Council for underwriting this episode of Channeling Brussels, and my thanks also to the engineers at the studio at NATO headquarters for their help. I'm Terry Schultz. Join me next time.